From The Australian, here's What's on the Front. I'm Claire Harvey. It's Tuesday, October 10. More than 100,000 Israeli army troops amassing for a likely invasion of Gaza after the militant group Hamas launched a surprise attack on Saturday. Already, the death toll is in the thousands as civilians on both sides brace for more bloodshed. As the Israeli army clears border towns of militants reportedly discovering tunnels used by Hamas in Saturday's attack, well over 100 Israelis are hostage inside Gaza, including civilians and senior military figures. US President Joe Biden has offered fresh military support to Israel, sending United States warships and planes closer to the conflict. The Pentagon also confirmed it's boosting the presence of fighter aircraft squadrons. Iran has denied involvement, but sources say it was the mastermind behind the invasion, plotted in Lebanon with terrorist groups Hamas and Hezbollah. In today's episode, we unpack how Israel's friends and enemies respond now, and what a new war in the Middle East will look like. Once or twice every generation, there's a moment that changes everything. The 1914 assassination of an Archduke that triggered World War I. As the open-topped car made its turn at this corner, the assassin was waiting with a loaded gun. The 1941 Japanese bombing raid on a Hawaiian port that brought America into World War II. Sneak sky and sea raid on Pearl Harbor, America's mid-Pacific naval bastion. September 11. You can see the firemen assembled here, the police officers, FBI agents, and you can see the two towers. A huge explosion now raining debris on all of us. We better get out of the way. They are moments of shattered tranquility, of assumptions that will never be the same. Right now, we're witnessing another inflection point. The sunny Saturday morning in Israel, October 7, 2023, that will mark the beginning of a frightening new reality. At an all-night dance party called Nova, partygoers sprint for their lives as gunfire is heard in the background. In this clip posted to social media, a woman who's been identified as Israeli Noah Agamani screams in terror as she's taken away by men with automatic weapons. A local rescue agency says it has now found more than 260 corpses at the site of the rave, young revellers massacred. And now the response, by land and air. Live on Al Jazeera, journalist Yumna Al-Sayed stands in front of a Gaza City building as rockets fall. What can you report at this stage? Ah! All right. Yumna, please take cover. No, it's okay. Um, this is a missile attack on, on Palestine Tower. Right in the middle of Gaza City. So, what awaits us? A new Middle East war? 
a new world war. I spoke to Cameron Stewart, the Australian's chief international correspondent, as he was waiting to board a plane. There's a very real risk now that this becomes a, a regional conflict. Now that Iran has been fairly much exposed as the puppet master, the real question is whether Hezbollah coordinates and joins Hamas in attacking Israel from the north. And if that's the case, then that's potentially a regional war. And also, how will Israel react to the news that Iran is behind this? Because, uh, you know, they may even be tempted to launch a strike against Iran because that's how angry they would be. We're seeing reports now that this attack was planned in Beirut by Palestinian and Iranian personnel. What does that mean, Cam? What is Iran's role in this dispute? Well, Iran really is playing the role of a puppet master in this dispute. Iran finances Hamas. It helps organise Hamas in Gaza. Of course, they're the forces that spilled over into the border and attacked Israel. It also funds and organises Hezbollah, the militant movement in southern Lebanon, which has been on and off throwing rockets across Israeli borders for many years now. And so the great question right now is whether Hezbollah will join forces with Hamas and start attacking Israel from the north and giving Israel a two-pronged war. On Monday, Iran's United Nations mission issued a statement denying any involvement in Saturday's attack on Israel. Cam, how are we to take Iran's denials on this kind of thing? I don't think you can take them very seriously at all. You really have to be very sceptical of anything Iran says in this situation. But they are the fundamental supporters, financial backers and military planners for Hamas and for Hezbollah. And it's very unlikely that that rings true. Iran's investment in Hezbollah means Lebanon has inevitably been drawn into the conflict in Israel. Or perhaps that was the plan all along. Hezbollah really is a proxy terrorist organisation of Iran. They are controlled by Iran, they're funded by Iran. This is the way Iran really exports terror around the world. It has proxy groups that it funds that it argues it has some sort of distance from, but really no one really falls for that. The Iranians are definitely right behind all that Hezbollah does. And Hezbollah, like Iran, is committed to the destruction of Israel. Hezbollah has lots of sort of terror activities around the world, but with Israel, it basically every couple of years has a fairly solid missile fight where they throw some missiles over into Israeli territory, the Israelis fight back, but it hasn't got worse than that. And so the real question here is, given that Israel is absolutely weakened at this point in time by the attack from Gaza, does Hezbollah take advantage of this moment or does it not? The conflict has thrown a potential deal between Saudi Arabia and Israel in doubt too. Well, Saudi Arabia is in an interesting position because it really has been coming very close to striking a quite historic deal with the Americans, whereby it recognises Israel in return for American security guarantees. And those talks are progressing quite a long way. But the trouble with that is that the Saudis are still very sympathetic to the Palestinian cause, and they've been asking for concessions from Israel towards the Palestinians to make the deal more palatable to the Saudis. Now, look at the situation now. Clearly, there is going to be a very big reprisal against Gaza, in which a lot of Palestinians are going to sadly be killed or injured. And I think that it really, really makes it difficult for Saudi Arabia to progress with this deal at the moment. And of course, it makes it difficult for the Americans to progress with it. And if that doesn't come off, then that's a big opportunity lost for a lot of countries, for Saudis, for the Americans and for peace in the Middle East. Is it also a moment where potentially Iran comes out of the shadows, Cam, and attacks Israel with its own forces? 
I think that would be uh, something that it wouldn't do because Israel is a nuclear power. And I don't think it would do that. I think the question is more the reverse, to be honest, whether the Israelis would consider a strike either at Iranian nuclear facilities, because the Israelis are, of course, very nervous about Iran potentially getting the bomb, or a strike against Israeli leadership. Now, if that's the case, because Israel is so wounded by this, they're so angry by it, and there are reports that Israeli leadership is really interested in striking at Iran in some form. But that, of course, raises a lot of dangers, and I think, Claire, that would really open the way to a potential regional war, because if Israel did strike Iran in some form, then Hezbollah would absolutely turn up the volume as far as its attacks on Israel go, and you really just have an incredibly messy situation there. If Israel did become embroiled in a bigger war camp, who would be on Israel's side? America and all of the West, I think, and all of Western Europe would be on Israel's side, and the Arab nations would be on the Palestinian side. It really would be very much a very clean division there, but I don't think there's any doubt that Western support for Israel is very strong in this circumstance. They clearly were the aggrieved party here, even though Palestinians say they've been provoked into this sort of action. It's a massive attack, the biggest one in 50 years on Israel, and I think the Israelis will go in very, very hard into Gaza, and I think they will have a lot of Western support, whereas previously some Western support has been a little bit weaker for Israel because people have felt that uh, the attacks on Gaza have been disproportionately large in the past. Would Israel be asking for soldiers, for troops from places like America and the United Kingdom? I don't think so. I don't think they would do that. But I think you'd see the US and the UK give every possible support from intelligence and maybe some logistics and things like that. But if we saw American troops on the ground, it would just become a catastrophe as far as a regional war is concerned. The Israelis, while they have been caught in shock here by a very big intelligence failure, obviously, they are pretty powerful. They've got a big army. Remember, everyone's being trained through their national service scheme. They will be able to mobilise a lot of forces. I think you'll find that even if Hezbollah starts to rain rockets down on Israel, that Israel will have enough troops to defend itself. It is a very heavily armed nation. Is this the end, do you think, Cam, of any kind of coexistence in this little sliver of land of Israelis and Palestinians? Well, the real question here is, what sort of Gaza does Israel tolerate from this point on? That was a massive attack. They don't ever want to have that happen again, obviously. But to go in there and occupy Gaza again, which may well happen, is still a long-term security nightmare for Israel. That's why they got out in 2005, because there's two million-odd people in very close quarters. Very, very difficult to rule that little area with a power that is unwelcome there. So that's the great dilemma for Israel, is what do they do with Gaza now? Do they actually reoccupy it, and do they just pay that cost to prevent this attack happening again? Or do they try and reconstitute it in some other form? And that's a huge question among many for Netanyahu. Coming up, what happens to the hostages and what Iran does next? I'm Sarah Lamarquin, Editor-in-Chief of Stella and host of our podcast called Something to Talk About. Every weekend we publish a new episode where you'll hear compelling personalities, strong opinions and thought-provoking conversations. I wanted to be able to do it in my time when I was ready and speak my truth when I was ready. The topic of when do I become a mum, that is in my mind 24-7. Search for Something to Talk About wherever you listen to your podcasts.
Thousands of people from both sides, Israelis and Palestinians, have now been killed or injured. Israelis, civilians including young women and reportedly also elderly people and children, have been taken hostage and transported over the border into Palestinian territory. The horrifying question arises, for what? To be traded for Palestinian prisoners in Israeli custody? To be executed on camera in a throwback to the rise of ISIS? To be human shields? Here's more of my conversation with Cameron Stewart. One of Israel's critiques of Hamas for many years has been that they set up military installations basically in civilian apartment buildings and civilian areas, meaning that Israel, whenever it launched any kind of strike, looked like it was attacking civilians. Does the Hamas capture of Israeli civilians temper Israel's response? This is a very good question. It really complicates Benjamin Netanyahu's choices here. I think it's more likely they will have a, some sort of ground invasion of Hamas in the next 48 hours. Now, that's something the Israelis have not done since they left the territory in 2005 because it would inflict a lot of casualties on Israeli soldiers as well. Israeli troops have started their withdrawal from Gaza after Israel and Hamas militants declared an end to their three-week conflict. However, the ceasefire may be on... But you're right. I don't think that they can just pound Gaza into submission, obviously for humanitarian reasons, but also because of the fact that there are Israeli hostages there as well. The trouble, of course, with any attack on Gaza, this is the great dilemma for the Israelis, is that, as you say, you can't just sort of siphon out the commanders of Hamas and the soldiers of Hamas. Everyone is living together. It's like Manhattan. You know, it is just a really crowded densely populated place, and any attack against Hamas inevitably involves civilians. Politicians, diplomats and lawmakers have been trying for decades to quell the civilian bloodshed. Almost a decade ago, former US President Barack Obama established a deal that was supposed to bring an end to Iran's nuclear ambitions. After two years of negotiations, the United States together with our international partners, has achieved something that decades of animosity has not. A comprehensive, long-term deal with Iran that will prevent it from obtaining a nuclear weapon. How do we look back now on the 2015 Iran nuclear deal that Barack Obama signed? Was that a mistake or was it something that could have potentially prevented this kind of attack if it had been allowed to persist? I don't think it would have prevented this kind of attack. Looking back with hindsight, I think what Obama was with that nuclear deal, which of course was warmly welcomed by a lot of nations at the time, including Australia, uh, was it was a far too optimistic appraisal of Iran and the Revolutionary Guard and the Ayatollahs. They turned out to be far less trustworthy than that nuclear deal thought that they would be. They haven't met the terms of the agreement. Trump scrapped it when he was president and Biden promised to reconstitute it and it's been a complete failure because the Iranians have never adhered to the terms of the agreement. Because of this deal, Iran will not produce the highly enriched uranium and weapons-grade plutonium that form the raw materials necessary for a nuclear bomb. Because of this deal, Iran will remove two-thirds of its... And effectively, the agreement is now dead in the water, even though I don't think it's formally declared as such. And now looking forward to the US election, Cam, if Donald Trump does become president, how does that change things? Donald Trump was very vocally pro-Israel, of course. He moved the US recognition of the capital to Jerusalem from Tel Aviv. He got on very well with Netanyahu, much better so than Biden. Biden's uh, had a fractious relation with Netanyahu. He is very unhappy about the um, 
reforms to the judicial system in Israel, which have been very controversial. Biden feels that not much has been done as far as progressing towards a two-state solution with the Palestinians. And so, if anything, a Trump presidency would be even more pro-Israeli than the Biden presidency. But look, you know, you are seeing very strong support for Israel from the Biden White House at the moment. I think uh, there is enormous recognition that any smaller differences have to be put aside for the bigger picture. And just finally, Cam, what's your gut about Netanyahu now? Does this entrench him? Does it vindicate his approach? Or does this endanger his prime ministership? Well, these things work in strange ways, don't they? You probably get Netanyahu's position, to be honest, being strengthened by the situation in the short term because everyone, even his critics, will rally around him. But look, Netanyahu was very unpopular before this. The country was very divided over these judicial reforms. And the bottom line also is that this was a massive intelligence failure which happened on Netanyahu's watch. So at some point in time, there will be a real reckoning about how this actually happens. So there's a lot of problems with Netanyahu, but I think in the short term, you will see everyone rally around him with unity and they'll probably strengthen his position politically in the short term. Cameron Stewart is the Australian's chief international correspondent. Subscribers to The Australian can read our ongoing reporting and analysis of the conflict unfolding in the Middle East right now at theaustralian.com.au Access a world of true crime podcasts on CrimeX Plus, where award-winning journalists take a deep dive into unsolved cases. Every week, we're waking up to a dead woman, a dead mother, sister, auntie, grandmother. It's not good enough. From the team that brought you The Teacher's Pet, Shadow of Doubt and Dying Rose, unlock early, ad-free and bonus content from brand new series and flagship shows such as I Catch Killers with Gary Jubilin. One was shot in the mouth and I thought he was dead. Another one had been shot with a shotgun and I got the overspray. Search for CrimeX Plus on Apple Podcasts to start digging deep into the world of true crime.